Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Hey folks, it's Amanda Radke from CK6 Consulting. I hope you'll join me in the Appalachian Mountains on October 7th for the Point Pleasant Angus annual production sale in Bland, Virginia. Point Pleasant will be offering half interest in three EO93 bred heifers, as well as a stout set of age-advantaged and yearling bulls. A sale headliner will be Point P. Oski, an EO93 by Deadwood Sun. Plus, Point Pleasant Angus offers free nationwide delivery. Join us for a day of great cattle, southern hospitality, and fellowship. I'll be speaking at the event about the abundance of opportunities and optimism I see in the beef cattle business today. A special thank you to our event sponsors, Virginia Cattlemen's Association, Virginia Cattlemen's Insurance Agency, and the Virginia Farm Bureau Young Farmers. After the sale, stick around for the musical talents of the Central Pickers, a local Southern rock band. Point Pleasant Angus has locations in Tennessee and Virginia, both farmed by the Shaver family for generations. The Shavers live by the words of Inky Johnson, honoring those that came before us and leaving a legacy for those coming behind us. For complete details, visit pointpleasantangus.com. The auction will also be broadcast live on cci.live. We'll see you on October 7th at the Point Pleasant Angus annual production sale. God bless. Welcome to the show. Here's my mom, Amanda Radke. Hey everyone, it's Amanda Radke back for another episode of the Heart of Rural America podcast. As you guys know, I travel the country speaking at agricultural events and it's such a pleasure to meet people in the audience. It seems like wherever I go, There's always that one person you have a conversation with that you really connect on. They see the big picture. They're doing incredible things in their own family with their own agricultural enterprise to move the needle in a positive direction. And they have a purpose. And and so I'm often left after these events feeling very inspired and hopeful for the future and have some more tools in my tool belt to take back home to the ranch. And it's a darn shame I haven't started this podcast earlier because I think in the last 18 months, I'm I'm pushing 100 speaking events. And so that's a whole lot of people that I haven't introduced you to yet. And so we're trying to remedy that right now on today's show. And it was earlier this summer, I was at the Arkansas Cattlemen's Association meeting in Little Rock, Rock, Arkansas. Oh, it was hot springs. He says, see, I don't even know where I'm at. (laughs) I'm around. I was supposed to fly into Little Rock, but then I drove. Yes, hot springs, home of President Bill Clinton, which added a whole... uh, element of conversation we don't need to get into. But yes, I was in Hot Springs, Arkansas, 
speaking at the Cattlemen's Association. And I knew the podcast had just released and I knew I wanted to find someone to interview. And sure enough, I met today's guest, Ryan Pace of Holy Cow Farms. And I knew this was the guy I needed to get on the air. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Amanda. And it's a pleasure and I'm, I'm honored and humbled to be able to speak with you. And thank you so much for what you're doing. Your voice is being heard. Well, I appreciate that vote of confidence because it is a little nerve wracking coming out with something new like this. But getting to meet you, there was two words that kind of struck out from my bio that you connected with, and that was food insecurity and or food security in this country. And you had kind of asked me about it and what it meant to be to me. Um, but then on the flip side, I quickly realized what it meant to you. And so I guess just to to kick things off, can you tell us about your background, who you are and, and what you do? And and then we'll get into that food security conversation. Sure. Ryan Pace is my name. And uh, I've spent most of my time working in, in service type industries. So um, I began as a, a, a state trooper for, for five years where I grew up in, in South uh, Central Missouri. And then... Uh, I went from there to, to flying helicopters. Actually, I was flying helicopters before I became a state trooper, and that was for the Army National Guard. And so I did that for oh, about, about almost 29 years, where I recently retired. But during that time, I was able to go lots of places and see lots of things. With that being a National Guard position, I needed a full-time job. So that trooper job was that, uh, filled that gap. And then I went to flying full time. And most recent in my flying career was with Arkansas Children's Hospital. And then uh, I went on a, my last deployment in 2016, 2017 to the Middle East, which was my second time over there. And then I came back and returned and and uh, felt like I wanted to, to do something more in agriculture. So I'm in the, uh, the equipment business in agriculture. I've, I've always been in agriculture and that was something I've, I've done in addition to these other, these other jobs. As far back as we can, five generations back, uh, we've, we, we've all been, we've all been cattle producers. So I love that. That's what I've done uh, all of my life. And, and it brings a great joy to be able to, to raise those animals. And so your, your operation, the Holy Cow Farms, you, you do direct to consumer sales, correct? We do. Yes. So uh, Holy Cow Farms, it's spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's grass-fed, grass-finished, and it's a certified organic farm. And uh, we, we do sell to some grocery stores, uh, some, some small, small stores, and also a uh, restaurant locally. And I've been recently selling bulk beef, and we're shipping that. That's great. And I know you had said that you you have some pretty good consumer demand in some of these urban areas. Kind of what's the what's the feedback and your your projections? Are you feeling pretty optimistic about the direct to consumer sales? We've had success. We've been doing it since about 2014, uh, but we're going to a, a larger scale with uh, shipping the the quarters, halves and holes. The demand is out there. I would tell any cattle producer if, if they've got the appetite for it, there's a great demand. So, you know, if I if I sell, you know, I'm not a large producer, but if we can sell a, a hundred head a year and if if uh, you sell each of those people a half, well, you've got 200 customers. I'm only touching 200 farmers or 200 families with one farmer. 
and I'm not even scratching the, the surface of what mm-hmm. needs to be done. I wish everyone did it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to corner the market and there's no way I ever could. I don't have that, that size, but I go back to my, to, to my upbringing in, in South Missouri. And it seemed like everybody had a, a deep freeze with either, you know, with, with, with half a beef in it. And that's just the way we live. I mean, you, you didn't go to the store for your protein. You went to your deep freeze. And I would so much like to to see our old culture and our, our nation get back to that because farmers can feed our citizens. Well, I think it's it plays a big role of individual families, farms connecting with their community members and, and people in urban areas. It plays a role in our food security because as we saw during COVID, and I talked about this in my speech down in Arkansas, we saw some vulnerabilities in our food supply. We saw the cracks in the system. It's not that we didn't have the food out there. We did. It's just the processors were shut down or the trucks weren't running or the plastics to bottle the milk were stuck on a ship somewhere. And so we are not too big to fail as a food system. And and that's that's something I've really focused on in the last couple of years. And to me, the solution is we need a diverse, robust food supply. And that includes keeping families on the land, families like yours and mine. And when we do that, we reduce those vulnerabilities. We eliminate food deserts. We serve people in our community. And and also farmers can earn a premium, which keeps them in business. And so profitability being a bad word or a four-letter word in agriculture, it's it's the opposite. It's, it's empowering and keeps us doing what we love to do. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by my dear friends at CK6 Consulting, a cattle business consulting service with a purebred Angus focus. I recently joined the CK6 crew, and I would love to connect with you at an upcoming sale. Check out the sale calendar at ck6consulting.com to learn more about opportunities to invest in elite Angus genetics coming from our progressive and innovative clients who truly exemplify what it means to be the heart of rural America. And for all your semen needs, visit ck6source.com, an online stud service that features some of our clients' top performing bulls. Give Chris Earle, Wes Teeman, Cody Fleeman, or myself a call with any questions or business inquiries you may have. CK6 is all about families helping families, and I'm so proud and grateful to be a part of it. Now let's get back to the show. So this food security piece, you have an interesting perspective on it with your career in the military and your experiences overseas. Can you kind of tell me about what you saw over there during your service years and how maybe it relates to the American people? A nation that can feed itself is going to be able to secure itself. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of the, the areas where I served were not able to do that. And they were very embarrassed that they were not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Ate many meals with, the, uh, with, with those from, from the Middle East. And they had, uh, it, was, it was interesting, their, their, the meals that were being served, it was, it was always real food. And there was n- nothing ever processed. And I remember in, in Iraq, they told me that they hoped I liked the meal but they were a little embarrassed because they were due to the war torn conditions at that time, they were having to, to ship in some food from Turkey. And that was an embarrassment to them. 
so uh, they take a lot of pride in in what they in what they do and and what they grow and the ability to serve themselves. So what was unique is I I flew helicopters in in, in the army during those deployments and what I saw it didn't didn't matter if it was in Afghanistan or Iraq or Jordan or Syria there were plots. So when almost everybody had a a plot and it may be it may be five acres, maybe 10 acres or, or, or 40, but they were taking care of that land and they were, they knew they had to feed themselves. So typically men would out be out with a, a sickle cutting the wheat and then the, and their wives would be carrying the bundles of wheat back and forth. But everyone had their own responsibility and, and knew that it was their responsibility to, to, feed themselves. I would love to see us get back to that. You know, I, I mentioned growing up in a rural area uh, and still live in a rural area in Arkansas. The, the guys I grew up with, nearly all of them had some agriculture experience. Even if they lived in town, they had a garden, mm-hmm. but, uh, but several would have maybe a, maybe five to 20 acres. And you had the folks that had, you know, several hundred acres. But yep. there's various scales, and they would be able to produce their own their own protein source with with some chickens and with some cows, and uh, they knew how to feed themselves. I look at my my children's peer group, and they they're really infatuated when they come to the farm, and they're able to see what what really happens on a farm. And we do have we have in addition to beef, we have chickens, and we have we have hogs. And we've got various other animals, but we don't eat those. So, but it's neat for them to see. But I wish so many of our our, our our youth would be able exposed to it, and they have it. They they really have a deep appreciation when they come out and see how it all goes together and how it works. And then they can go to the store locally and buy the products that they're seeing raised on that farm. So it's a, it's nothing new for me. It's new for a lot of folks now. I'm sure like you probably are, is very similar growing up, seeing a lot of people in agriculture your age, but uh, it seems like there's fewer and fewer of them as we go forward. Yeah. And and so would you say the percentage of, of families overseas in the Middle East are engaged in an agricultural pursuit of some kind of, of feeding themselves? Those in the rural areas, absolutely. Yeah. And then and then they, they would typically ship that to the to the more metropolitan areas, kind of what I'm trying to do with Holy Cow Farms. So here in the United States, there's less than two percent of us involved in production agriculture anymore. We've largely as a society handed over the reins of feeding ourselves to other people. And it, it's been a, a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. It's been a blessing. It's allowed people to pursue science and technology and art and music and entertainment and uh, so many other things that that have advanced society. But at the same time, when things like a global pandemic or war or uncertainties, even what we saw happen in Hawaii, where people are scrambling to find bottles of water and, and food for themselves because of a, of a disaster, all of a sudden, all of those extra things are secondary because your primary mode of survival is feeding yourselves shelter and water. I mean, within just a few days without water, you're dead. And so I, I think we don't often think about that in our daily comfortable lives here in the U.S., those essentials of life, because they're just so accessible to us. But I guess what's your thoughts on all of that? Should, should more people get engaged in getting their hands in the soil and being more independent and, and self-sufficient? Absolutely. The, uh, you know, I was thinking back to some of the survival training I had, we were taught the, the rule of threes. You can go 
three minutes without without oxygen, three days without water, and three weeks without food. And having having served in those countries, but also having served, uh, you know, domestically, I I was flying helicopters uh, in support of Hurricane Katrina relief, and it, it was just really amazing. As I well, I guess we were probably within 18 hours of that flying down. Well, there was obviously no electricity. I mean, no, no, uh, the airport was completely black and we all had to coordinate our, our airspace amongst ourselves. But so many people were going to the Superdome for relief and that's where some aid was, was arriving. But some people couldn't get over to the, the Superdome just yep. due to the mere flooding. And they were, they were very, very desperate, very desperate people. So... The ability for each one of us to know how to grow food and to do that uh, is is paramount to our security and our sustainability as a nation. We saw so many people kind of shift their lives dramatically during the pandemic. Either they were moving out of the big cities or they were flocking to more freedom-loving states. They were buying a few acres to start a homestead and a garden and to take care of themselves. And now... It's been a good thing, I think, because people can now see how hard it is, how hard it is to produce a harvest and how much money and time and effort. And so I think even if people can't be self-sufficient, it does gain a a deeper appreciation for food and and the people that provide it year round. And and if not, it it does make for more independent minded people who understand that in order to be free, I have to have these basic tenants. And I don't know if it's the solution or if many people, it, it might be a very small minority that are thinking that way, but it has been kind of fun to see that transition to people maybe asking more questions about where my food comes from, who are farmers and ranchers? If things get crazy, how do I get the things I need for my family? And I, I guess, I don't know, what advice would you give to people that maybe want to be more self-sufficient? Well, last year in the equipment business, there was record number of, of purchases in the, in the small utility tractors and compact utility tractors. And a lot of tillers were being sold. So that's in line with what you're saying. You know, people are wanting to do more and be able to to support themselves. So one area that, that I have seen a, a little bit of growth in, and it may have been what what was a detractor from people having that small acreage and being able to, to produce their own animals. And that's the reemergence of the square bale. Back to growing up, you know, someone could have a, a pickup truck and, and 10 acres and buy square bales anytime they'd like and be able to, to winter those animals and, and, and keep them nourished. So I think the reemergence of the square bale will get more people in the, in, in the uh, make it more affordable for folks to get in the agriculture business and, and self-sustaining business. I also saw during the pandemic, people buying deep freezes. I mean, they were sold out everywhere, which signaled to me, instead of going to the grocery store and buying two days, three days, or a week's worth of groceries, people wanted to stockpile. Instead of having just-in-time food, they wanted just-in-case food on hand. And I, I don't know if it's a sign of how hard things have been and, and the mentality. I do see now with the economy the way it is, people can't necessarily afford to keep prepping and to keep thinking with that mindset. It's kind of back to the grindstone, just trying to survive, you know, paycheck to paycheck type thing. And so it, it worries me a little bit. I, I, are you worried about the economy and people's ability to afford beef, especially? It's essential to our life. And it's such an incredible protein source that can that, where there can be so much gain from it. So I think people are going to prioritize 
where they spend their money and it's going to be on on premium products that, that, that you consume for you and your families. The quarters, halves and holes, the bulk beef has really gone up since since that time. So that's not really set, slowed down much from my perspective. And I think I think the market's wide open for those that want to participate. It's good. You're going to have to do a lot of other things other than being on the land and enjoying time with your animals. Yep. Uh, you've got to you've got to be all things that a business would have you be from marketing to, to transport to delivery to, you know, lots of lots of other aspects of it. So if anyone's in, interested in doing that, it might be worth looking at hiring someone or, or just appreciating some of those roles yourself in, in addition to being that farmer. Yeah. And I would also add with the direct to beef sales, another component people could consider adding is additional add-on items, whether it's a cutting board or a set of knives, steak seasoning, maybe some items that are a little higher margin than beef that, okay, I'm buying a quarter of beef or I'm buying a hundred dollars worth of beef, but I really need the seasoning and the apron and all of the things. And so I think there's some some additional value that can be added on the retail space that can help keep the cows on the land too. I mean, I know that's what I do with my website. So it, it definitely all helps. I agree with that as well. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities. And once someone were to go down that road, they'll be able to see different avenues like that. They just kind of become apparent and, and, and you get that from customer demands too. Absolutely. Speaking of beef, how about in the Middle East? Was was there much beef? What was kind of the protein over there? There would be there would be chicken and there would be okay. camel and goat and sheep. Typically, I went to a meal with with some other folks and it was it was kind of a big deal, a big event. And there was a rib, a large rib cage out there, and you carved your, carved your own meat off of there and. It, not sure what it was. I you know, could, couldn't speak the same language. I did have an interpreter that assisted and he informed me that was camel. So okay. anyway, it, it wasn't bad. So All right. uh, that, that's a lot of what they eat over there. There's some beef. By steak. <laughs> no, <laughs> but there's, there, there was some beef, but it's, still, okay. it's challenging, you know, with the, a lot of the desert type areas. What was very interesting though, in, in, in the country of Jordan, I was around a, a, a real rocky part and, and on a hillside and there was goats and, and sheep there that uh, were grazing, whatever they could find. But just across the road, there was an extremely lush, uh, probably 10 acre patch that was that was extremely productive. So they were producing tomatoes there and all it needed was water. So it goes back to my my thinking here in the in our nation that we've got to really take care of our land to be able to continue to absorb that water and will the land will give us what we need as long as we take care of it and you know i don't know why that's all desert now but i know that you put some water on something and things grow really well over over in that part of the world that that's a big part that's why i try to participate in in different regenerative processes and sustainability processes that can can help grow our farm and make it fertile working cattle can be stressful at times but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe strong and simply designed I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Landing Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. 
Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. Well, what I get really excited about in all of these conversations is a lot of the climate change narrative likes to talk about how bad the cattle are. And yet we know for a fact, when you add ruminant animals to the land and they graze on land, it can go from a desert to a lush place really quickly. And the cattle naturally fertilize their fertilize the land with their manure and they're part of that carbon cycle. They reduce the brush. So they reduce the spread of wildfires. And so they promote new grass to grow. And so I get very excited about being part of a solution of environmental challenges with God's perfectly designed beef animal. Uh, So I don't don't know about you, but it it is very rewarding in that regard. That's that's exactly where I am, teaching God's hand at work uh, by taking care of of the land that I'm I'm able to be a steward for during a brief time and hopefully hand that off to my children. So the water retention, the ability to retain that water is, is critical. So I try to I try to do what many people do, and that's not overgraze, you know, road graze. And, and we, we do uh, spray litter or spread chicken litter and, and the manure distribution of the, of the cattle themselves. And that's incredible biodiversity beneath the soil. So many, many places, uh, I could put a shovel in just about every place on our, on our ground, and I'm going to have worms. And I'm also mm-hmm. going to have dung beetles that are putting that are grabbing every bit of of manure they can and rolling it up and putting it down into the ground so uh, between just those two alone and i'm not about to get into any deeper than that because i don't have the i don't have the education and i can't even probably say those words uh but with the microbes that are that are working under there all the time all of that working together is is allowing more water retention and better fertility and my my pastures have really shown to reflect that as well. Absolutely. I often say I really love cattle, but my love of the land runs very deep. And it, you can't do anything else if you're not taking care of that land that it is God's. It, we are just stewards, like you said. And so to be the best mm-hmm. steward of that natural resource, I think that story gets lost in the weeds a lot on some of the mainstream reporting on who farmers and ranchers are and, and where their heart lies. So if I haven't said it yet, Thank you very much for your service. And we couldn't do everything else that we love to do in this country without people who are willing to lay their life down and, and keep us free. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And, you know, something's very, there's a common thread between farmers and soldiers, and that is they both are, are one to serve. So, you know, our, our country is farmer by day and that and that soldier by night sometimes. So there's there's a common thread between both of those, both of those occupations, if you will. And that's that they want the best for America. You know, there's a another, I don't want to take a, a dark turn on this show, but I, I think I, I need to. There's kind of the elephant in the room 
about mental health in both farmers and our military too. There's that that commonality. The suicide rates for our military as as well as those in agriculture is high. And and I, I worry about that a lot. And I, I know we had kind of talked about this at the meeting. And so I guess if you wanted to share any any resources or any information that might help somebody, whether they're a veteran or or a farmer going through a season of hard times, how have you navigated some of some of those mental hurdles, some of that hardship, some of those those uh, the PTSD that you've had to experience after your time of service. The first thing I think that all of us need to do is sit down our pride and understand that there are things that all of us go through that we might need a little bit of extra help for. I mean, someone would probably take medicine for for high blood pressure or high cholesterol, but a lot of times there's reluctance to seek that that mental health. I would I'm a proponent that uh, everyone needs to to seek that help if they if they have a need. The VA has uh, Veterans Administration. It's been a process. My first one was 03, and uh, from where we are now, uh, it's it is is much improved. And I think having community around you, you don't have to be just this tough guy that just says, "I'm just going to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I can, I can man up and just handle it." It not only can help you to reach out in your community or to get the help you need. But it oftentimes empowers someone else who might be struggling too. If you're speaking out and sharing your struggles, it's a hey, I I'm going through this also, and you know, let's be a shoulder to cry on. Let's be someone to vent to. You don't have to suffer alone. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about more in this country. And I appreciate your willingness to comment on that. And sometimes I have to unplug from the news too because it's it's disheartening at times. Whether it's about food and agricultural policy or military action or whatever it might be, that's kind of the curse of social media is everything spreads so far and so fast. And number one, you have to discern what's real and what's dramatized for an agenda. And two, to shoulder all of that negativity can really impact people. And so sometimes spending time outside with the cattle out under God's beautiful creation, it's the best thing we can do for mental health. And just realizing that we can't take on every burden and every battle that exists in this world today, but we can use our talents and our voice to be a positive change maker where we can. And so I guess with that, do you have any final thoughts before we, before we part? I know I'm going to have to have you back on the show again, because we have not unpacked all the things I hope to cover on today's episode. I I do. I I first want to talk about what we ended with on some of the the mental health issues. I found, yeah, the VA is a good, uh, is a good resource. And I, I I don't know farmers networks that are available, but if there is anyone that needs help, then by all means, set your pride aside and seek that help. But I found my, the, the best healer for me has been our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. And he's the ultimate healer. And so that's very important in getting well. Mm-hmm. The other thing is as farmers and ranchers, the world is your canvas. The ability to run all of the, of the earth via the World Wide Web, there's, uh, the opportunities are limitless. I would, I would challenge and encourage every listener to, to think about how they can do things maybe a little differently 
and and increase their bottom line because if it's not all of us that are continuing to to think forward and look at other opportunities within our industry we could find ourselves in a in a difficult situation as a nation so farmers need to feed the feed feed our people and so we need to get maybe a little bit diversified in how we do so yep and i think where we see challenges in agriculture that's also where the opportunities and the solutions and the the chance for greater profitability lie too so it's it's kind of taking those challenges head on and figuring out how to fix them yourself and and that's that's where the gravy is so i really appreciate you being on the show this is ryan pace a veteran farmer a beef producer of holy cow farms down in arkansas Thank you again for your service to this country and for your servant heart to be a part of the solution for food security in this country and abroad and, and giving us a little hope and inspiration on today's show. So thank you very much. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for what you do. The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meats by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop, and growing to an international supplier of high-quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Linz is a four-generation family-owned business. The Linz Heritage Angus Program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product, a focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle, allows Fred Linz and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at lindsheritageangus.com and shop for beef at shoplinds.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you found value in the message, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe and share to help spread the word. Until next time we meet on the dusty trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is the heart of rural America.